Welcome to Animal Cafe, where you'll hear weekly interviews with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals, and reviews of fun, fabulous, and useful products for your pets. Check our website, animalcafe.co, for more. Welcome back to Animal Cafe. This is Mary Haight, your animal welfare correspondent, and you'll never guess who we have with us today. Dog and cat behavior consultant, pet advocate, broadcaster, journalist, known as the Ann Landers of the pet world. He's asked to speak internationally all the time, is a national ambassador for the American Humane Association, is an award-winning author, and an all-around good guy. It's Steve Dale. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm, wow, with that introduction, that takes up the entire time that we have, I believe. <laughs> How are you, Mary? Hey, I'm doing okay. I, you know, I really, I'm so pleased that you are taking some of your personal time on a Sunday to talk to us here at Animal Cafe. Well, I understand the cafe serves free drinks, so uh, it can be coffee on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm okay. sipping it now. <laughs> and, and let's say the cafe brews a pretty good cup. Thanks. Oh, you know, it seems like just the other day that we were talking about our summer vacations. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't we didn't just go to Wisconsin or uh, to Iowa. <laughs> Instead, you went to South America. I went to Africa. And I don't know about you, but for me, in some ways, it's life changing. We we did two things in Africa. We went up the sea with Terra Incognita Eco Tours, the mountain gorillas uh, and Uh, This is in Rwanda. You could also go to Uganda. They're found in the Congo, but they're really not set up for tourists there. So you're going to Uganda or Rwanda. We chose Rwanda. We chose this organization because they work with the gorilla veterinarians, the mountain gorilla veterinarians. And I'll explain why they are so important in a second. They're also involved with Rwanda. And people think Rwanda and they think, Oh, my gosh, how could you go there? You know, because they're thinking about the genocide, the awful violence, one of the most horrific things that ever happened, which was in our recent memory, uh, where so many people were killed. But in fact, today, Kigali, their capital city, is, is about as safe as any or safer, I think, than any other large American city. Uh, certainly cleaner plastic bags are not allowed in the city. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so they're, believe it or not, environmentally conscious in, in a lot of ways. They're, they're technologically, you know, you mentioned you heard me on the radio. I did two radio interviews from there, uh, one from the top of the Virunga Mountains. They have cell <laughs> coverage. It's incredible. In Denver, I mean, we're really up there in the mountains. Wow. wow. And I don't believe that in many places in the U.S. of that altitude you can get cell phone coverage. Um I mean, it's amazing what they've done with the country and this Terra Incognita Eco Tours, aside from protecting gorillas, uh, is very much involved with uh, the country. And after having visited, uh, I I was uh, really taken by, by the wonderful people of Rwanda, how welcoming they are. Uh, but above and beyond that, imagine trekking uh, 20 minutes to 30 minutes to an hour and 30 minutes uh, in mountain forest, beautiful, lush mountain forest and then you hear it if if you pay attention you might even smell it uh there you're among a troop of gorillas and the gorillas don't really care that the tourists are there they go about their business so they're eating and they're sleeping that had to be so amazing it just had to be an out-of-body experience yeah i no cages no bars um 
you're supposed to stay seven meters away, but the gorillas didn't read the guidebook. <laughs> uh, so they close to you at times and uh, not to really come close to you for that intent. They're just going from one place to another and you happen to be right there. Uh, the young gorillas are curious about us. Uh, and there are many young gorillas. There are silverback males, I mean, of all ages, of all sizes, as they come in mountain gorillas. The mountain gorillas are actually thriving, or at least doing quite well, relatively speaking. The only great ape species we can say that about. And we could say it because of tourism. Uh, the tourist dollars uh, to Rwanda have been significant. And... The Rwandan government, as a result, has paid attention and protected these animals. Uh, the same in Uganda. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is that the tourists are right there among the gorillas. And they are our relatives. About 98%, believe it or not, of who we are is in each and every gorilla. I'm told, this has never happened, but I am told that if something did happen, and instantly someone needed a blood transfusion that they could give gorilla blood to a person. And that person would... Wow. So uh, the gorilla transfusion would work. I mean, maybe the person would beat their chest a little bit and grow a lot of hair. But really... <laughs> and and uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Later we went to Kenya and we saw all kinds of wildlife. We saw... Uh, all kinds of antelope. We saw elephant, we saw leopard and lion and hyena. Uh, but to watch gorillas up close and personal, to watch them where they live, you can't help but feel all sorts of different things. First of all, admiration for these magnificent creatures. Uh, maybe we can learn a little bit. Uh, they are peaceful. Uh, we didn't feel in any way, and I think I'm speaking for everyone in our group, threat. Uh, the gorillas, the males sometimes battle over females, uh, but they are peaceful animals, certainly peaceful to people. They've been habituated to people. Um, we're not always so peaceful uh, as a species. Um, also, it reminds you that there is something, there's a lot special on this planet that if we're not careful, will disappear. And by protecting the gorillas, which to me is awfully important, we're also protecting all those other species that live in that forest. Now, what I don't think I said were what the mountain gorilla veterinarians do. So there we are up there. Uh, we're supposed to be, what, seven meters, I said, away from the gorillas, but they come closer at times. And uh, we spread germs that are novel to the gorillas. Um, all the tourists don't get a health check or a physical necessarily. We're asked if we're in good shape. Mm -hmm. You carry a virus and not even know it. Yeah. These benign viruses to people can be passed to gorillas. And sometimes, not a lot, but sometimes they do get sick. Uh, also, if it's life-threatening, the Mount um, Gorilla Veterinary Project will intercede. And they do save gorillas. Sometimes they get uh, caught in snares. The snares are not meant for gorillas. And what's really amazing, they're meant for uh, a kind of small antelope. And what's really amazing is some of the gorillas have learned how to disable them. Pretty smart. Um, but sometimes they get uh, limbs caught in them. Uh, 
which could be infected. So uh, the veterinarians will intercede if needed. Um, because the mountain gorilla veterinarians are there, lives are saved. So it's kind of an interesting circle. The tourists are there. Those tourist dollars make it possible to the gorillas. And by the way, help Rwanda's economy in other ways. I mean, there are schools that benefit. Uh, certainly all the lodges that are there, people would have no need to stay at if they weren't there watching the gorillas in the first place. Those lodges hire a lot of people. Uh, so all those people have jobs that they otherwise probably would not have. All the track uh, and the people that go out, uh, the porters that go out with the tourists, uh, when the tourists go to see the gorillas, those mm-hmm. jobs exist that these tours to see the gorillas didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's it's really quite a circle because all of that is Rwanda money. All of that says to Rwanda, well, it makes sense. It's the right thing to do to protect the gorillas. But moreover, it makes economic sense to do this. But by us being there, then the gorillas potentially, and in some cases they do get sick. Uh, so the veterinarians then save their lives. Uh, it's, I don't think there's a circle quite like that anywhere else in the world. And hopefully it will be replicated if possible. Lots of resources are needed to do that, but there are lots of benefits. There's a benefit, as I mentioned, for the Rwandan economy, as well as uh, a benefit to the gorillas, species that if this circle didn't exist, I'm not sure the species today would even exist because we're down to very small numbers at one point in the not-too-distant past. Trip of a lifetime. Are you planning on going back? I I mean, there are lots of places you'd like to go. It's not an inexpensive trip. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) Then we went to Kenya. Uh, I had been there before, but it's been more than 20 years. And uh, we were in the Serengeti system, the Maasai Mara on the Kenyan side, and saw all that wildlife I rattled off earlier. Um, Some of it is not doing well, some species. Many species, most, seem to be doing okay. Long term, it's anybody's guess, and it's tourism that will show these governments that we need to keep these animals alive. So it's interesting that from the other side, we hear about an elephant going through, or a herd of elephants, going through a, not even a town, just where some people live, a village, a native village. And in the process of going through, they literally trample some of the homes where people live as well as their crops. And they say they want to kill the elephants. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should kill the elephants. But what I am saying is that at the same time, we see in the Chicago area uh, two coyotes at Wrigley Field. Coyotes at Wrigley Field. Uh, very, uh, if you know Chicago, very busy area. And the coyotes were just like uh, kind of hanging out. Maybe they wanted to check bars in the area. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they were fans. It's like a panic in, in parts of the city. And uh, sadly, a couple of days ago at this point, uh, in one of our suburbs, uh, a little dog was attacked by a coyote. And increasingly, I'm getting email uh, from all over the country uh, from people who say this is happening uh, in greater and greater numbers. And, and they want to see the coyotes die. So here, I want to trap and kill coyotes who are no threat to people. None whatsoever. You might think so, but no. A coyote. Mm-hmm has never attacked an adult person. It does not happen. 
So we have a concern about that. But yet, on the other side of the world, when they want to protect their homes or their lives, you know, should a lion get into a village uh, and they respond defensively, we say, how could they do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seems to be a double standard for me. Uh, and in truth, if we were better about securing our garbage, uh, the coyotes would not likely as be there uh, be there as often. And the other thing is that suburban sprawl, sprawl continues to sprawl. Yeah. So we're meeting the coyotes in what once was their homes in, in greater numbers. But aside from that, it's very simple. If you are out there supervising your dog, if you are out there with your dog, which is a good idea anyway, uh, then no coyote is going to attack your dog. Uh, if you don't let your cat out, a coyote rarely knocks on the door, rings the doorbells, <laughs> search for your cat. If we if we use a little common sense and adjust when possible our lifestyles or our pets' lifestyles, and I realize there are some cats that just, I mean, they've lived their whole life indoor-outdoor, it's tough. But for many cats, they can make the adjustment with appropriate enrichment to be indoor cats. Mm-hmm. Better for them for many reasons. Coyotes are just one of those reasons. So I don't blame the coyotes. I blame what I think are pet owners who could be and should be more responsible. Yeah, I don't see anything controversial, you know, about doing the right thing for your pet. And if you have your, if you don't leave your dog in the backyard unattended, which is problematic. Uh, and I, I understand people don't have time and they want the dog to get exercise, but generally a dog goes out in the backyard all by himself, then he sits there. Well, you, you and I are on the same page here, but there are lots of pet owners who depend on their backyard to be babysitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, and it isn't. It's not really doing what they think it's doing in the first place, so there's no point to that. But coming from the shelter background, you know, in the in an urban environment, uh, you leave your dog in the backyard and you're asking for someone to come along and scoop him up. Sometimes. Mm. That's one. Uh, yeah. So people do take dogs out of backyards. Uh, and sometimes for small dogs, even use them as bait dogs for dog fighters. Exactly. But in, in addition to that, uh, dogs can develop bad habits up back there, whether it's digging at the garden or barking at the fence. Uh, dogs that previously were not aggressive can become barrier mm-hmm. um, they, they're all that they could dig under the fence and get out the fence and get out none of that can happen if you're out there supervised and i wonder if betty white would agree betty white i heard yes uh, because you know she's the most trusted person in america and uh, she said about you and your good dog book that um, your answers save lives and um, help us take better care of the animals we love. And I couldn't agree more. Thank you. It was uh, such a thrill that when asked to to do this, to, to write forwards for my book, Good Dog, and also a book called Good Cat, both are e-books, that Betty White said yes. Uh, <laughs> Betty White for a while. And uh, she really walks the walk. I'm, I'm told at the board meeting she speaks up and knows her stuff. Uh, not only companion animals, but also a uh, wild. I mean, she really knows her stuff. Um, she knows the difference between animal rights and animal welfare and, and, and really knows about individual species uh, and has been involved uh, in what you and I have been doing, and that's communicating about pets or trying to to the general public for decades and decades. And uh, 
she's quite an amazing individual, obviously. Uh, you point out how well-respected she is, and I was thrilled that she wanted to participate in these books in any way. The trip came to me and said, Steve, you've been answering reader questions for about 12 years, and said, you've, you've got all these questions and answers. Why don't we put some into some e-books? And I thought it was a great idea, because that way they're all in one place. Uh, and I get asked so many of the qu same questions over and over. But the question I get asked most often about concerning dogs is aggression to either people or other dogs. Uh, separation anxiety was a question that, that I got frequently mm -hmm. 12 years ago or 10 years ago or 8 years ago. But now I get it more frequently. I cannot explain why. I don't even want to fathom a guess. Well, maybe I will. Maybe it is because for some small extent, dogs that are from shelters are more predisposed to have separation anxiety. But we don't even know if that's so were they given up to shelters in the first place because they had separation anxiety? Or is it a shelter? You know, what's interesting is that as I was just talking to a pet book author about this, as we've changed uh, sort of culturally, uh, pets have changed with us. And I don't know if culturally is the right word. So as Americans have become more overweight, our pets have become more overweight. And this author maintains neurosis in people in America is at an all-time high. The same may be true for our pets. That I don't know. Here's what I do know. <laughs> Behavior problems are the number one question that I get. You know, from the get-go, I started doing the newspaper column. About 60%, 65% of the questions are, what's wrong with my dog? Because my dog is barking at 3 in the morning. Or my neighbors are complaining because my dog is barking at 3 in the morning. Mm -hmm. A behavior-related question. About 40%, by the way, are uh, medical or veterinary questions. So I go to experts. I'm not a veterinarian. So I go to them. Oftentimes, I'm very lucky. I go to the best on the planet to, to get the questions answered. And the remaining few percent are factual type. You know, we're mm -hmm. really from China. Or uh, when does that dog show on? Or something like that. Uh, but... Most of them are behavior. And, and when I walk into a room and people know who I am, they ask about their pet's behavior. Either they have a really serious problem or they're just curious, why is my dog doing that? Uh, so the good news for me, and I never could have predicted this would happen to the extent that it has, is that by answering these behavior questions... I know I've saved lives, and I know it because people have... So when I first began writing, I would actually get snail mail as well, that, you know, occasionally, and people would say, oh, you saved my dog's life, which was nice, but now I get it more frequently because email, I guess, it's easier for people to do. Yeah. And I get those letters all the time, and... Um, well, that's a no, wonderful thing, though. It's not, you know, I mean... There's no feeling like it. I mean, um, and it's not only helping the pets, I say it's helping families because pets are members of the family. And uh, if we can keep that pet from going to the shelter uh, some way, somehow, by giving information to people, then I'm very gratified. Even if we're one life over these now 13 years almost, uh, and it's it's been many. I, I can't even count. I don't know how many. But it's been many that people have written me about, and I suspect others that people haven't, uh, where I've prompted something 
that has helped to save their pet. So I'm very grateful to that. But if the advice can do that, I thought putting it in book form would be nice. So we have different categories, and and I cover. I said we have different categories. It's really me. I wrote. <laughs> well, you in the Tribune, I guess. Great, great editor at the Tribune. Uh, you know, my blog ChicagoNow.com uh, forward slash Steve Dale. Love blogging, uh, as you know, Mary. Mm-hmm. I I blog mm-hmm. as much as anybody out. So there's new content. Usually every single day, sometimes twice a day. Uh, but what I miss is an editor because I don't see the spelling mistakes or I, you know, a sentence that could be put in a better way. And and uh, we were recently at a meeting. I shouldn't say this. We were recently at a meeting at the Tribune where all these bloggers got together, and the editor, the chief editor, stood up and said, "Great thing about blogging is you don't have an editor." And I instantly rose my hand and I said. No, that's the worst thing about it for me. I want an editor, a good editor anyway. And and I've got one at the Tribune. Stacy's been wonderful. So, you know, we is the right term to use. But uh, I looked at different categories uh, and took each of the categories, like separation anxieties, one, uh, aggression to dogs, aggression to people, on and on, took these categories uh, and answered questions about it that, I know other people have that same question because I, to some extent, get many of the same questions all the time. But then I include a chapter of just fun, crazy questions. I saw that. Some those are my favorite. So I'll tell you one that isn't in the book even. Um, and it's a question that I just received. Uh, I, I'm going to get it about right. Do it by, And I know you're running out of time here. But the question went something like, uh, my roommate says that my dog is barking at 3 in the morning and is really upset about it, and I don't know what to do about it. But I know my dog sleeps on my bed with me. I am a light sleeper, and I would hear my dog bark at 3 in the morning. I don't believe my dog is barking at 3 in the morning. What do I do? So I suggested that uh, perhaps a roommate is having nightmares, and dreaming of a dog barking at three in the morning, perhaps she's a heavier sleeper than she ever thought she was. Or maybe there's a neighbor's dog outside mm-hmm. she's hearing. Uh, but if none of those are identified, my answer was to find another roommate. Who was <laughs> I think that would be my suggestion, too. It would be like, well, that's a little scary. One more. Do you have time for one more? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I love these. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Um, this question is, again, I'm trying to think to get it right, but this question is, okay, we just moved, and we just moved into this beautiful, old house with so much character, and, and we chose it because it's such an old house with so much character, and we moved, and we have two dogs and two cats, and our pets would be walking, any of them, down a hallway or somewhere, and just stop, and then go the other way really fast. And I was telling a girlfriend about this, and she said it's like they've seen a ghost. Well, Mary, what do you think? I think dogs can sense things that we can't, just as they sense a storm coming. They have different receptors, they, and they can certainly hear better than we can. Um, so they know when a friend is coming down the walkway, and we haven't heard them yet. I don't think how our... our or this, this owner's dogs or cats are sensing a ghost. Well, it might be happening. A couple of 
Because I would guess is that previous owner had a pet or pets. And if they're stopping at the same place, and I don't know that they are or not in the house, it could be somewhere where that pet had an accident or where that pet had a bed and was a lot. And that pet smell is there, and that's what they're smelling. And they're looking for where's the, the animal, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, if you're walking down the street and your dog gets a good whiff, so, whoa! Um, <laughs> so, it, it, especially if it's indoors in their house, it's like off-putting. But, but the other possibility is that some dogs and cats, you move and they settle in really by the end of the day, if not sooner. But other animals do take a while, and this person had just moved. So it could be that they're just uncomfortable. So they're walking down the hall, and the floor creaks. Well, they've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. Or, or the, any appliance in the house sounds differently. So they bolt. So it could be that they're just not adjusted to their new surroundings. I would suggest that either of those possibilities is more likely then they actually saw a ghost. However, here's what I suggested. If it is a ghost, and the ghost likes pets, maybe this is a good thing. So maybe they can get the ghost to help scoop the litter box. <laughs> maybe if you're running late to work, the ghost will take out the dog. There you go. <laughs> or at least keep the dog company. Less chance of separation anxiety. I was answered. I, you know, you bring up a good point. So for dogs with separation anxiety, what they need is a human there, right? Mm-hmm. Get other dog usually really, by the way, doesn't help. So, in fact, what then they do is get now two dogs with separation. Mm. So instead of that, what they if you, if you can't get a human to be there, maybe the next best thing, Mary, uh, get a ghost. I know I'm late on time. Uh, you've given me the hurry up signal, and I should. Uh, good dog available at Amazon.com or wherever ebook are sold. It's only two dollars. 99 cents. Although, you purchase it through iTunes, if you like, there's, we did some videos and there's also a version available. I think it's $5. And it has some embedded videos. Oh, so you have, have those nice extras? That's really wonderful. Yeah, they show you how to do some of the things instead of just simply writing about it. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Steve Dale. And if people want to ask you some more questions... They, they should buy the book first because it's a great reference book. And you could pick it up and just start reading. And I, I found many of the stories quite funny, actually. Wait a minute. You've got another book coming out. Oh, yeah. Uh, the College of Veterinary Behavior. Uh, finally, I'm glad. I mean, they're really the, the, the top of the when it comes to animal behavior, in my opinion. And they have a book coming out this year. I had the honor of editing that book. Uh, by this year, uh, and it'll be out fall or the winter around Christmas. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, And then there's the book Good Cat. And we'll talk about that some other time. Okay. Well, that's great. All right. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you, Mary Mary. See you later. Bye. That's it for this week. You can find us on the web at animalcafe.co. Thanks for listening.